Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. We are in our third installment of a series that we have called Church Problems. We're taking a look at the book of First Corinthians. It's actually the second of four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And uh, we have been taking a look. He was addressing various problems and issues that took place in this early church. Now, if you'll recall, Corinth was situated in a uh, strategic location right on the water. It was a port city. It had a lot of people coming and going. The commerce was great. Um, it was a bustling city. And with most, as in like most bustling cities, you're going to find um, a lot of things happening, um, a lot of action. Um, there was a lot of um, um, opinions. There was a lot of momentum. And anyway, there is uh, there was a lot of things that needed to be addressed because a lot of worldly kind of things were coming in this new church was shaping the way they were thinking and so Paul felt it important to address some of these matters well so far we've talked about church division church leadership um, we've talked about sexuality um, and now we're taking a look at a, a message that I'm subtitling Operation Freedom. We're going to be taking a look at some aspects of, of life and aspects of being a follower of Christ that really address freedoms that one would take in trying to figure out what's appropriate and not appropriate for life and for the things that you are able to involve yourself with. And I just want to remind yourself of a verse that was just read um, in our introduction, and that is verse 27, where it says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Here, Paul brings out this idea that he's going to um, pound his flesh, his body, and bring it into subjection so that he does not become disqualified in the message that he would preach preach. So in today's world and in our following of Christ, we're going to find all kinds of things that we are um, trying to form opinions and, and form our way of doing life. Is this appropriate or not appropriate for myself? Um, what kind of freedoms, what kind of liberties am I going to allow myself to participate in? We're talking about rules for me, rules for you, rules for those in the church, um, rules for us. Um, a lot of churches face breakups and people leaving the church over allowances and liberties. What's okay in this church over here in this part of town might look different or feel different than in this part of town or this part of the country or whatever. And so um, these allowances or these liberties can become points of division and contact 
contest. And I want to talk about these today. I think it's really important. What are some of the liberties that maybe one church would say is fine and others wouldn't say is fine? Or what, what individual sitting next to you um, at church um, might have a differing opinion about these different matters? I think of alcohol. I think of gambling. I think of dancing or going to dances or the dance hall. I think of tattoos. I think of um, leadership. Um, what's okay to be involved in out there in the world and what's not to. Now the handling these days, the handling of gender confusion, homosexuality, and other sensitive lifestyle issues that is facing the church and people are forming opinions as to how to best handle them and uh, people are leaving um, their, their local church because of some of these kinds of matters. Now, I want to start with a base of understanding before we get into the points today. And this base of understanding comes down to this idea. Christ completely fulfilled the law of righteousness. All the laws we find in God's word, particularly in the Old Testament, we find that Christ is the fulfillment of all of those laws. Um, he was the one who was able to bear up all of the weight of the law and all of the rules and all of the standards that God requires for a relationship with him. We were unable to do it. We are unable to do it. Therefore, our only claim to righteousness is Christ. He's our only claim to righteousness, not any activity, not any um, um, way about obeying, not any rules we live by. None of it qualifies us for righteousness, only Christ. Our works of righteousness do not achieve true righteousness and a relationship with God. At best, our works of righteousness achieve an illusion of righteousness that leads to an unfounded pride in and of ourselves. Therefore, all that we do for Christ, all that we do for the church, any um, ways in which we live where we restrict ourselves from something or we engage ourselves in something else, all of it is only in response to his amazing grace. It's a response to his work of righteousness. It does not in and of itself achieve a level of righteousness or favor with God or anything else. It's all in Christ. Our obedience is in response to what Jesus has already accomplished. So I wanted to lay that as a foundation because we are going to get into how do you determine what's right and wrong? What behaviors do I allow myself to engage in? And I wanted you to understand that any rules you place on yourself um, has to do with a response to God's grace. It's, an, it's a response. It's a worship. Um, it is not um, an, an earning. It's not an achieving kind of a thing. When we figure out what liberties and freedoms or restrictions that we will live by, we really should ask ourselves three questions. And these three questions are going to serve as three points for you to uh, maybe put into your heart, put into your filter, and you're trying to decide what is, what is something I can involve myself in, what should I avoid? Um, in 1 Corinthians... 
um, Paul's going to be talking about this matter of freedoms and liberties um, really within the context of talking about people and food um, because food was a big deal. Um, there was a lot of sacrifices made. Um, there was um, sacrifices not only to God in order to achieve um, you know, some level of holiness because this animal took your penalty for you or also food sacrificed to idols, food sacrificed um, in pagan worship. And so food became this really central thing within the context of this culture. Now, we don't have that really going on too much here, and so food might be difficult for you to translate, but I want for you to realize that whenever Paul addresses matters of eating with food, he's really talking about freedoms and the accessibility to these things. Um, we've got um, maybe a real issue that you might be able to figure out is there's quite a divide in our culture over the last couple of years over things like vaccinations and face masks. And we've really tied it to, um, you know, an ideology over here and an ideology over there. We're judging one another pretty freely or pretty quickly over the use of these things. And so our culture has kind of had something that's kind of brought things into a focus on how we judge one another or how we jump to conclusions about one another based upon something real. And so this was going on related to food. Um, where people would really jump to some conclusions or judgments based upon how free people were with eating certain kinds of foods. Um, I just wanted to give you an idea of maybe how this might relate to our society. So the first question that, you're, that I want you to ask yourself when you're considering, is this okay to be involved in or not, is what's good for me? That's the first question. What's good for me? Um, am I the only one left on this planet? Maybe is another way to look at this. And you're trying to decide, is this an okay thing for me to involve myself with? Would God be pleased with this? Really with this idea, what's good for me? Um, there was a movie I watched a few months ago, and it was kind of an intriguing movie. It was called Passengers. Um, it was a movie about um, a group of people that really needed to get off planet Earth, and there was this technology that was developed, a spaceship that would take a couple thousand people, and they had these pods that would put them in a hibernation sleep and they would they set off on a 120 year flight from from earth out into outer space to a whole nother colony and galaxy and they were going to go there and they would then be woken up and they would be able to live out the rest of their life on this whole new planet okay so this uh, movie is set where this ship is is out into space and there's a malfunction and one of the passengers ends up waking up comes out of its hibernation sleep and now it's on the spaceship and it's it, he's the only human awake on this ship at this point and so he um, figures out that he's really going to live out the rest of his days all by himself alone. And he spends a whole year living life all by himself. He's got no one really to talk to except for a robot. Um, and he's trying to navigate matters of consciousness, what's right and wrong. And there's no one here that he's accountable to to figure that out. And I thought that it was kind of an interesting illustration for us as we contemplate this first filter of what What's right and wrong to do is what's right for me. If I'm the only one left here on the planet and the only one I'm accountable to is God, what's right? What do I do? How do I make my decisions of right and wrong when I'm the only one to consider? 
Let's read some passages of scripture with that filter in mind. 1 Corinthians 10. By the way, all of our scriptures pretty much are going to be coming from 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Um, and so this first passage to look at is 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14. And it says this. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will also make the way for escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Um, here we find here God really calling us to um, resist temptation, to avoid the things that create sin in our lives and become pitfalls for us. Um, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for, for me, but not all things edify. And here we find Paul really talking about the freedom that we have in Christ. All of the things that were rules and requirements in the Old Testament, those have become fulfilled through Christ because we were unable to um, accomplish those. And so now Paul's saying, listen, all, all things are allowable. All things are possible. Um, they're not reliant on whether or not you make it to heaven or not because Christ fulfilled the law perfectly and now you are in Christ. Therefore, there's freedom in what you eat. There's freedom in what you do because it's not your salvation is not dependent upon them. It's only dependent on Christ. However, he says, but not all things are helpful. Not if things are beneficial. Not all things are edifying. And so what are some of the words we've heard in these verses? Well, one of the phrases, lest he fall. Um, he said, take heed as to how he stands, lest he fall. Therefore, he's saying, be mindful. Take um, a, a very critical look as to how you live. What's beneficial? What's right? Take heed lest you would fall. Boy, falling doesn't sound good. What he's saying is in, in case you end up going down a path that really brings destruction in your life. So we need to be mindful of that which is beneficial in our lives. We might be able to do it. Our eternal salvation might not be dependent on this act of obedience. However, it doesn't mean that you should do that because you might fall. You might have a whole lot of issues. If you end up committing adultery, you're going to have consequences. If you end up overeating, you're going to have consequences. If you end up doing this or that, it might bring about issues where you fall. And so here he says, be mindful of what you're doing. So what's good for me? Another statement he talks about is this temptation. And he said, no one is, has been taken under temptation. And here's the phrase, except such as common to man. And so we need to realize is that we are facing temptations in this world that's common to man. Nothing more, nothing less, that which is common to man. But I've heard a whole lot of times people in trying to justify maybe a decision or choice they've made is that you just don't understand what I'm going through. 
Well, here we find Paul that there's no temptation that's not common to man. You are going to face the same temptation that your brother, your neighbor, your friend, your spouse, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, all of them have faced similar kinds of temptations. We live in this fallen world. We live in it together. But when we're giving into temptation and to sin, the last consideration tends to be um, self-focused. Have you ever noticed that? You're facing a temptation. You're looking at this. You're looking at that. You're deciding if you're going to participate. And generally, when we step into that temptation, when we fall to the temptation, it's because we our last thought was, Oh, I, I can do this. I can get away with this. I'm not affecting anybody else. It's only me. It turns self-focused. Here's another phrase that, that Paul gives us. God will make a way of escape. We need to understand is that God's walking with us every moment of the day. So when we're thinking about what's good for me, we realize that God is walking with us. We are not walking alone. Um, we're not getting away with anything. We also aren't trying to do it all by ourselves because he says that God will make a way of escape from all of these issues, these freedom issues, these decisions we make, is this allowable or not? Is it good for me or not? God is with us. He will give us a way for, of escape. Um, temptation comes down to your own choice because of what Jesus did on the cross. He empowered you to choose sin or to deny sin. He chose you to, to accept and to follow temptation or to deny it. In Christ Jesus, he empowers us to decide yes or no. Now, all of us came in this world, all of us sinned, all of us fall, fall short of the glory of God, but in Christ, he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to say yes and no to these different decisions that come our way. We look to him for that strength and power. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to live perfectly and you've got this now power to live perfectly for all the days of your life. However, I do want to to encourage you that Christ promises to come alongside you and not only to offer you forgiveness when you do fall, but also to empower you to make decisions that are righteous as you go. And he wants to walk with us all the way through that. What to consider when you're determining your own personal right and wrong? What are some things that are going to help you make that decision, to make that choice, to make that power? Well, here's a few things I want to give you as a guideline to help you figure out what's right for you. Between you and God, not but for you and someone else, between you and God. Here's first. Is the Bible clear on it? You're trying to figure out, is this something I should do or not do? Ask yourself, is the Bible clear on it? If the Bible is clear on it, there's no question. It's right or wrong. And the Bible's clear on plenty of things. There is black and white in God's word on certain things, plenty of things. So if you are denying God's word, if you're ignoring his word, if you're not reading his word, then more than likely you're going to struggle to find out if God was clear on that decision, this opportunity, this lifestyle. Is God's word clear on it? Here's another question to ask. Is it healthy? Is it healthy? Does this decision or could this decision contribute to my death? Now or way down in the future, is this going to be something that leads me to die? 
I don't know if you remember from our last um, message in this series, but it's in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So we need to remember this principle still there. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And so when you're trying to decide, is this healthy for me? You have to realize that your body is not yours. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you and he purchased you. Therefore, you need to ask yourself, is this healthy? This decision, this choice. Is, is the Bible clear on it? Secondly, is it healthy? And here's a third question. What does your gut say about it? What does your gut say about this decision? And you need to be honest with your convictions. That's what we're talking about is convictions here. Um, so more than likely, you've got this little voice inside of you that when you're about to make a decision, you know isn't right. You get that little gut check. And then you're deciding, am I going to listen to this gut check or I'm going to barrel my way through? It's called conviction. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you about that which is right. Now, I want to read a very clear passage of Scripture. Now, I'm going to look back at, at another letter that he wrote to Rome in the book of Romans, verse four, chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. Here I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I just like the way it read. It says this, You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. And so we find here that some of these matters that maybe are confusing or maybe gray, they're not very clear in the Bible, or maybe um, you've you can't decide if it's healthy for you or not. Well, then you got to look at your gut check and your convictions. And if your gut is telling you not to do it, and the Bible says, but you do it anyway, you are sinning. Therefore, it's wrong. You need to make a different decision. So our first question of all of these matters of what's right and what's wrong to do, first ask yourself, um, what's good for me? What's good for me? But it's not the only question to ask because God did not put us on the world on some spaceship all by ourselves floating out to outer space and we're not accountable to anybody. But he called us to live in community. And so here's the next question you ask. What's good for my friend? Did you realize that what you do and the decisions you make for yourself also impact the people around you? So you need to ask yourself, what's good for my friend? What's good for my wife? What's good for my husband? What's good for my neighbor? What's good for the people around me? You need to consider that there's other people to consider when you are trying to decide what's right for me to do. And so let's read here a few passages again from 1 Corinthians 8, 9, or 10. This one comes from 1 Corinthians 8, verses 9 through 13. It says, But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? 
But when you thus sin against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Let's also look at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 24 through 28. It says, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question of con uh, for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. What we find here in these passages of scripture is that Paul is saying, your freedoms, you might be able to eat anything here and have no conviction about it or no concern. However, if those who you are around have a concern or conviction, and he calls them the weaker brother, then you need to take into full consideration how the people around you are perceiving your freedoms. He's saying you need to fully consider the needs and the place and the maturity of those around you when you're exercising your freedoms. Consider those around you. First of all, just take notice. Who are you around? How am I um, coming across with all of my freedoms and my uh, takes on things and my opinions? Just take notice. Be mindful of those who are around you. Determine their weaknesses. Determine their vulnerabilities. If they see you engaged in this decision, this choice, this activity, how is it going to impact their decision-making and their conscience going forward? Determine their vulnerabilities. For instance, if you're around someone who you know has had a real problem with alcohol, they've been alcoholic, they've lost a ton in the past, they've lost a marriage, they can't hold down a job, and now they're on this track to try to get things all figured out. They're going to Alcoholics Anonymous, they've been clean for three months, they've been clean for three years, whatever it may be, and you walk in and you just pop open your beer or, or bring champagne to the gathering, you have not considered the needs of that brother or sister, the one who needs some help, the one who doesn't need that temptation thrown in front of them. Do you understand that it's not about whether alcohol is right or wrong, it's whether or not it's right or wrong to be doing with this person. You need to consider their vulnerabilities. That's care, that's love. Um, be more concerned about their eternity rather than your freedoms. Boy, that's difficult for a lot of us to be concerned about other people's eternity than for our own freedoms, our own rights. Um, this is a pretty unpopular uh, thing to, to propose to you, but that you would consider the needs and the eternity of the people around you over your own freedoms. That was, that was Paul's angle here. Does that mean you never get to do this? No, you consider those around you. Whose company are you in? So we've got the first question, what's good for me and my relationship with God? What's good for the individuals around me when I'm in their company? But thirdly, what's good for my church? What's good for my church is another good question to ask. I'm also going to just use the word community. What's good for my church? What's good for my community? Let's read a few passages. 1 Corinthians 9, this time it's verses 19 through 23. 
For though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Let's go to verse uh, 31, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 through 33. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So here we have it that not only do we consider our own needs and our own self, we ask what's good for me, what's good for the individuals around me, but also what's good for my church, what's good for my community as I engage in these things. A few little phrases that we saw in these two passages of scripture is this one in verse uh, nine, chapter nine, verse 19, when it says, I have made myself a servant to all. Do you realize that that's really God's high calling on all of us, that we view ourselves as a servant to all. Um, and this is a very difficult mindset because we like to be in charge of our ship. We like to, um, you know, make our own decisions and we like to make our own statements. But here we find that Paul considered himself a servant to all. That's to people that don't agree with him. That's to people who are weaker than him. That's to people who come across stronger than him. That's to people who look different than him. That's all, everybody. And he says, I'm a servant to all. Let's read also what he says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. You see, this is a statement of what it means to love and to be a servant of all. It's that we realize that our knowledge is going to puff us up. Our knowledge is going to fill us up with pride. But love edifies. Love serves the other person. How do you go about doing this? Well, one of the things that you need to do when deciding what you're going to engage in and how you're going to minister to your community is establish commonality first so that you have a voice to bring understanding when the timing is right. You might hear this message and say, all I am is to be nice to everybody and never share what I've learned or the freedom that I've discovered in Christ or whatever. I just need to be nice. And that's not true. However, did you see how Paul was saying, to the weak, I became the weak. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the Greeks or the Gentiles, I became like the Gentiles. To those who aren't living as if they've got any law to obey, I'm going to live like that, except for I'm going to be obedient to Christ the whole time, but I'm going to live that way, be that way. You are establishing commonality. Do you know that Jesus calls us to go into the world, to go into the world and reach the world, to love the world? And so we're sitting there in a context where the environment looks like X, like this, you get in there and you establish a commonality as best as you can.
so that you then have a voice to bring about insight, wisdom, correction, God's word, whatever it might be. You um, become like them in some way, form a commonality so that you have a voice. So do you, do you step into an environment and lead with your opinion? Do you step in and lead with your political view? Do you lead with this and that? No, you got to establish commonality first, establish a relationship, a friendship, so you have a voice, so that you can insert Christ at that right time. He says here that there's different kinds of groups to consider. In verse 32, he mentions Jews, Greeks, and he said the church, the church of God. So we've got people around us. Some people around us are like the Jews. They're the religious types. And so how do you connect? How do you minister to the religious types? Another group is the Greeks, the worldly types, the people with no law of obedience. There's probably going to be a lot of cussing. There's going to be a lot of smoking. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on that maybe you're not comfortable with. Friends, step into that environment. Find a way to show love and connection. Also, it says you need to care for your church, my church. These are the redeemed types who are trying to figure out life and faith too. And so when you are making decisions, what's right and wrong to engage in, you've got to consider your church too. How do you love your church? How do you connect with your church? These are um, folks that you need to, you know, you wrestle with some of these subjects too. Um, what's right and wrong? How do we do this? What's our culture within our church? How do we make our church culture the most ready and willing to love the world? You can be a part of it. You can be a part of making it a great ministry. You see, here's the thing. Every day, we are co-missioned with Christ. We, every morning, we've got this opportunity to say, God, I want to love you, love God, and I want to love people. That's our church's mission statement, by the way. Love God, love people. We are commissioned with that every day. And so how you choose to make decisions on any matter how you engage, you've got to use these three filters. Is it good for me? Is it good for the person around me? Is it good for the community I live in? Is it good for my church? Is it good for everyone around me? Those, that's a pretty big filter when you're trying to navigate, is this right? Is that right? How do I do this? What do I do here? You've got some pretty big filters. And if you want to follow Christ fully, you will make sure all three of those questions are asked every day when you step up because we first love God, we next love people. And that is our commission every single day. And so if you're here today and you're listening and you go, you know what? I want to know that kind of Jesus. I didn't realize that he was this kind of Christ, that he, he wasn't some big judge or with all of these rules, that there's freedom to be found. However, he wants this daily relationship with me and he's commissioned me to make decisions and choices every day that honor him and honor other people and are good for me. And this is the kind of God I want. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, this is the perfect opportunity to say, that's the kind of Christ I want to walk with. Um, also, if you're listening and you realize that maybe you've not been 
commissioned properly, that you've been um, making selfish decisions about what's right and wrong, or maybe you've been living under some set of rules that you realize and you've been not only living them for yourself, but you've been putting them on everybody else and you've just been a little bit like a bull in the china closet making your own selfish decisions and maybe today you go, you know what, I want to be commissioned properly. I want to be commissioned with this freedom that's completely filtered through these questions. Is it good for me? Is it good for others? Is it good for my church? Wow. I want to encourage you to pray a prayer of dedication with me right now, but also to engage in this freedom to do that which is right, to do that which is noble, that which is loving. That's true freedom. Would you pray with me now? Lord, I pray with my friends today as we've taken a look at Paul's pretty powerful message here, Lord, about how to love people around us. And in so doing, we end up loving ourselves. And God, there's we're faced every day with a whole bunch of gray issues. There's black, there's white in your word, but there's also gray. There's things, oh Lord, that aren't dressed perfectly that we face every single day. Lord, the, the internet was not around when this scripture, when this letter was written. Lord God, there was a lot that we face every single day that looks quite a bit different. And so we've got these gray issues. What's right and wrong? Well, Lord God, I right now pray today that you would help my friends, myself included, to be able to hear from you. We would listen, God, to your voice. We would, we would filter all of these choices every day, Lord, through these questions. What's good for me? What's good for my friend? What's good for my church? And Lord God, that we would operate in love as we do. And I pray right now for the one who's making a decision to follow you for the first time. I pray, God, that you would bring about um, a grace, an understanding, a wholeness. Lord, there would be purity. There would be um, new life discovered today. Um, I pray, Jesus, that you would fill their life with freedom, with hope, with a relationship with God. And Lord, that you would um, put them, oh Lord, on a, a track to love the people around them. So Lord, we just all together dedicate ourselves to you. I pray that you would give us discernment in every decision that we make and a desire to do that which you would call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.